Hello, and welcome to the michaelcrane.live podcast. The podcast is about entrepreneurship and tips for staying highly motivated to make a positive change in your life. Keep listening and follow the podcast to stay connected with the community at michaelcrane.live. So get comfy and enjoy today's conversation. And welcome to the michaelcrane.live podcast. Today I have with me Brian Altimus. He worked for KPMG for 17 years on the tech risk and cyber security teams. He left that business in 2014. And during this time, he advised global clients and the transport industry. He ventured out on his own, setting up Riverside Court Consulting Limited, and now advises entrepreneurs and business owners with cyber security and how to be compliant with data protection regulations and standards. On today's show, we are going to be speaking about how he changed his business from a contracting business to a consultancy business by networking. So hello, Brian, and welcome to the Michael Crane.live podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Let's start by asking, Brian, what is the difference between a contracting business and a consultancy business? So contracting business, so as you said, I left KPMG in 2014. Um, My client network said, that's a real shame. Uh, We'd love to continue working with you. So essentially, I became a contractor to individual organizations um, for a period of time to deliver a project. Um, And then I moved on to the next client. Towards the end of 2019, I realized my decision makers were retiring um, and we had uh, HMRC bringing in IR35, um, which essentially uh, put an end to the the UK contractors market. Um, And uh, because what they were trying to stop was unlike people like me who were contracted to an organization for a short-term project, which, yes, may may be, you know, sort of two years long. Um, Many contractors abused the system and stayed with an organization for 10 years or more. So effectively, we're employees. Uh, So you actually became an employee, and that's where you get the term... Uh, contracting opposed to consultancy? Well, I didn't, and I was uh, still contracted through Riverside Court Consulting, but the the risk was that um, HMRC um, could have a look at the contract and say, actually, um, you're abusing the tax system um, and uh, um, you're actually an employee of X organization um, because, uh, you know, 
they could have employed somebody um, and paid normal income tax and uh, um, rather than me paying corporation tax VAT um, uh, and uh, a little bit of income tax on any dividends I took out of the company. So, how, so that changed for you overnight. Well, how did that feel for you? It was, a, I mean, it was a disaster. For five years, I'd had um, a comfortable income, um, a very good income, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, both myself and the clients were in, enjoying uh, the work we were delivering. Um, and as you say, overnight, towards the end of 2019, um, yeah, that market disappeared. And uh, um, so, yes, it was, it was pretty disastrous. I think an awful lot of uh, startups go down that route to supplement their income. So they get a, a, a side hustle, you could say a gig, to support themselves while they, while they start out in business. Absolutely, yes. Was this the same thing that happened to you? Is that why you were doing it, or it was the bigger business that you were trying to set up? No, it was the, it was the business I was trying to set up. Um, so I, I, when I left KPMG, I originally intended to set up a consultancy where I had um, a portfolio of clients, um, you know, and would be spending two or three days a week with different clients. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I... Um, I took the easier route, ready-made ready, ready made, uh, income stream, um, and uh, paid, um, for paid for it in the end. Okay. And, and, you know, you're not on your own, by the way. I hear of an awful lot of uh, situations very similar to yourself. And only in recent times, Uber, the cab-hailing company. Indeed. Well, maybe not cab-hailing company, but the uh, taxi company yeah. had the same issue. And the issue is, are they an employee or are they a self-employed worker? And it's a very interesting subject, but one for another day. So today I've asked you onto the podcast, Brian, to talk about cybersecurity. Now, this is a huge subject. Considering we keep hearing about big companies getting it wrong by breaching their data, why do so many companies get this wrong when others don't? There's, there's many aspects to it, really. But um, the main, I think that there's, the main reasons are that um, Big companies, well, not only big companies, the whole um, uh, spectrum of companies um, think, number one, think, ah, it's not going to happen to us until it does. Um, so they don't set aside a sufficient budget. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, especially what we're going through at the moment, setting aside a budget is, is difficult. Um, but the hackers are always trying to stay one step ahead of uh, the security industry. And um, if the 
Um, you can you can spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on the latest sexy bit of uh, cybersecurity software and tools, um, but if you're not doing the basics properly, um, you're going to end up being hacked. Uh, and that's doing things like vulnerability scanning on your network and your servers, um, making sure you install the the monthly patches, whether you're on uh, um, when you, whether you're using Windows, Google, or Apple, um, etc., and making sure if you use an outsource provider like AWS, making sure that you've got people trained in your organisation on that platform, so that they don't misconfigure um, that platform. But I guess the larger companies in business right now have got this sewn up. They don't make these basic, simple mistakes. Or have I got that wrong? To an extent, you've got that wrong. Um, yes, many companies, and especially in the regulated industries, so like financial services, um, they spend billions on, on cybersecurity. The difficulty is that many larger companies, their, their technology has evolved over time. Um, and so you've got a mixture of high-tech, uh, newly acquired systems, um, but often bolted on to old legacy systems. Um, and that's where the vulnerabilities can often arise. Why would these large companies not get rid of the legacy systems because, as we know, the information technology global infrastructure has changed significantly. So why don't they get rid of the legacy system and just use, use new high-tech systems to get it right first time and every time? If you look at... Um any, any major global company, um, the investment required to replace all the legacy systems is going to be is substantial. Um, and uh, often they will have a multi-year program um, to, to do this. Um, and, uh, but while they are in that, in that program replacing, they, they are still vulnerable. If I was a multinational, large broadband provider and I came to you right now, Brian, and said, look, this is my setup. I've got millions of pieces of data that I need to protect. What's the, what would be your advice? It, well, first of all, we, we, it would be doing a risk assessment, seeing where all this data was. Because the, one of the, the biggest risks is the, the duplication of data. So, um, for, you know, you get um, people download it to do analysis for their specific job and you get multiple versions of the data. And it would be to make sure you've got one accurate source of that data, which everybody accesses. Um, you don't have replicated sets of data, uh, uh, and then you secure that one source of data. 
Would you keep the data in-house on your own secure servers or would you outsource to a data warehouse your data in your opinion? How long have we got, Michael, to answer that question? <laughs> that's it. That's, um, to be honest, in this day and age, my belief is that businesses should be focusing on their core skills and then they outsource things like that to, uh, to companies whose core skill is hosting that data and keeping that data secure. Um, as, I, as I outlined earlier, but it's also making sure that, for instance, if you're using the AWS platform, um, AWS are responsible for the data when it's within AWS, um, but it's the your in-house team and configuring um, your end of the AWS platform um, for your people to access it where the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities often occur. When you refer to AWS, am I right to assume you're talking about Amazon Web Services? Correct. Perfect. Okay. So this podcast is to help entrepreneurs business owners scale up and make a difference for them, their business, and their families. If I was starting out today, what would be my first thing to do with regard to all my data security? I would suggest that you um, use, for instance, um, Microsoft 365 um, and OneDrive to, to store all your data. Um, I mean, it, it depends on the size of the company. So if you, if you are literally starting out at the moment, you're a one-man band, yes, make sure you use Microsoft 365. Um, but make use, use somebody like me to advise you on securing your access to Microsoft 365. Um, and then make sure that you have a backup of the data that you're storing on the, the 365 OneDrive. Um, yes, Microsoft um, or Google, if you're using Google Drive, they replicate their data centers, so they do have multiple copies of the data. But if you corrupt that critical document uh, that you've got to deliver at 12 o'clock today and go to Microsoft and... Uh, say, please, can you restore this uh, Excel spreadsheet? Uh, good luck, because they won't, have, they won't have any idea what you're talking about. Um, as I say, they, they, they replicate their data centers. Um, so it's important to have um, a backup of your own data. Uh, if you're just starting out, um, it is, it, there's really two ways of doing it. And that is one, one, having an external drive to your computer. And you just replicate all the data and the changes to that data to that. To that. Um, it could be on an hourly basis, a couple of times a day, or maybe just once a day. Um, but then if you lose that critical spreadsheet, you know where to go and get it. As you grow and... Um, your, the volume of your data grows, uh, it's then worth looking at 
um, specialist um, backup providers, um, such as a company called Acronis. So you mentioned use Microsoft to protect all your data, but if your document was uh, destroyed in any way, shape or form, you, you suggest, don't worry, don't bother asking Microsoft because they won't have a clue, but you suggest backing up your data on an ex or an external hard drive. Is that is that not counterproductive? No, because I'm saying that your your primary set of data is with Microsoft, and Microsoft are pretty good at protecting their data centers and access to uh, to that data. Um, Obviously, when you're starting out as a brand new business, um, cost, um, you want to save cost wherever you can, uh, which is why I said I would suggest backing, initially backing it up to um, an external hard drive. As a plan Just B. making sure, yeah, just making sure you've got a duplicate set of data um, so that if the worst does happen, you, you, know, you can quickly restore that corrupted file. So you mentioned Google Drive and yeah. also OneDrive. In your opinion, how do they compare? If you look at the, at the statistics, I mean, um, if you went back 10 years, Microsoft had the, the majority of the market. Um, it's now much more even. Um, it's something like 60-40. It may even be 55-45 um, now, percentage share, uh, still in favour of Microsoft. Uh, but Google Drive are closing the, closing the gap. What one do you prefer, Brian? I use, I use Microsoft 365. Um, uh, I use Apple Equipment. Um, but for business, business data, I use Microsoft 365. Are there any specific add-ons that you would thoroughly recommend to use with uh, Office 365 for our listeners today? The main thing I would do is to make sure that you use Microsoft's two-factor accreditation to access your um, your account on Microsoft 365. Um, that's just that's adding adding another layer of security to your username and password, um, and that's what you're trying to do to stop um, the bad guys getting in. Um, if they come along, and it's you know slightly difficult, you've made it slightly difficult for them. They're going to move on to the next guy who hasn't. For our listeners that don't really quite under the two-factor authentication process, can you explain that? Yes. So when you sign on to Microsoft 365 or Google Drive or if you're using Apple's iCloud, um, you put it in your username and password. Um, that goes to Microsoft 365 um, and 
is validated, then they come. Then you will. They will come back and say, um, "We're sending you probably a text to your mobile phone, which you've put in your details when you set up Microsoft 365, or you could be using um, Microsoft's um, app, um, which does the same thing, and it generates a random um, a random number. Either or." Um, what you get is a random number, which you then put in to um, your uh, the the in, into as you're signing on to Microsoft 365, um, and uh, this you know this it, it is practically not totally impossible, but practically impossible for somebody to intercept um, that additional number. Um, that you put in as you sign in. Great advice, sir, Brian. For the scammers out there, how do they penetrate a massive global corporation like Microsoft and the likes of Google and all the other companies that's, that has, has built a customer base, they hold their clients' data, and the scammers try and break into it? What's on their mind? How does it work in their eyes? So it, it's unlikely that actually they will get into micro, any, any of the big tech companies. What um, very regularly happens is either um, the company, if, it's, if, if their IT is hosted internally, um, the company has not been regularly scan it, scanning for vulnerabilities. Um, has not been patching those vulnerabilities and uh, which um, then allows a gateway for the bad guys to get in or somebody has um, clicked on a link on an email they've received which looks as though it's from their best friend or their the favourite supplier or um, whatever saying, uh, you know, things like we've got photographs for you or um, I'd hold my hands up. It nearly happened to me about a year ago. Um, I was uh, in a breakfast meeting um, on, over Zoom, obviously. Um, and uh, I, the day before, I'd received new um, company credit card and debit card. I'd also made a purchase on Amazon. And an email flashed across the screen, your payment has been declined. And I thought, hang on a minute. Yeah, that's that. Actually, that's possible. We've got new credit debit card. Yeah, I'll deal with that after the meeting. After the meeting, I went and got a coffee. And as I was getting that coffee, I thought, hang on a minute. No, don't use my company credit cards and debit card on Amazon. So I came back and I sat down and I looked at the email, and it looked as though it had come from Amazon. These guys are very good at. Making it, making their emails look as though they're coming from the organisation um, that they're purporting to be. I then went and had a look at the email address, and of course, the email address, although um, on the face of the email it said it came from Amazon, hovered over it, and it was um, somebody at uh, Hotmail 
www.ecommerceinsights.com. And I then had a look at the, uh, um, the Amazon details on that email. Um, and uh, um, they'd changed, I think it was the O in Amazon to a zero. Um, something, if you're looking at it quickly, you're not going to pick up easily. And then I noticed that the business address, the registered address for Amazon, they were using uh, the US address rather than the European address, um, which from memory is uh, in Luxembourg, I think. Um, and then, you know, I then realized it was a scam. But I could have, if I'd decided to address it while I was under pressure, I could have very easily have clicked that link and let them in. Today's show has been sponsored by www.teameasycrane.co.uk. We help you build your business and grow recurring profits. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. So you mentioned one way that the scammers tried to get in. For the listeners today that aren't as tech, cybersecurity savvy as you are, Give our listeners a run-through about the not-to-do things when purchasing using your credit card or PayPal. Give us a rundown what people should do because the scammers are doing it because they're catching an awful lot of people out. So how do we throw water on their fire? Never click on a link you receive from um, in an email from one of these companies. Um, always, because if the email is a scammer, um, the link will redirect you to the scammer's website rather than, um, you know, HMRC, um, your bank, or, um, you know, Amazon, etc. So always, um, so if you, yeah, if you get an email saying, um, you know, your payment has been declined or um, you need to address something, never click on that link in that email. Always go and sign into your account. Um, all, I, and again, um, we talked about two-factor accreditation when you're going into Microsoft 365. Anything any account where you're storing credit card details, again, make sure you've got two-factor accreditation on that account. Um, today, these days, the, uh, the vast majority um, of, of big companies will provide two-factor accreditation. Um, and then, so that's sort of when you're, you're yeah, when you're approached, and again, um, you know, even if it looks like it's an email from your best friend um, with a link there, um, don't click on that link. Always go and, you know, if they're saying uh, we've got our holiday photos up on Facebook, etc., go and go into your Facebook account and pick them up from there. Um, if, you're, if your best friend has been hacked, that link, again, will link to the scammers and give them access to your, your crown jewels, your data.
And are you suggesting only do this with your banks or all your social media and everything? I I suggest you do it with with everything. Don't click on a link. Um, and then I would also suggest you know you you're in your when you're in your social media you get all these um, games come up and uh, um, you know don't click on them. Um, don't go into them and play these games and share it with your friends because again there is a high risk that uh, your social media accounts are, will be uh, will be hacked so i know candy crush within facebook is a huge game that many people uh, use are you suggesting don't go into facebook and play candy crush and if so why not yes i am um, and again, because it is so easy for scammers to, to replicate that game um, and redirect you elsewhere. Um, so, if you're, so the next question, uh, Brian, is if you're starting out in your business right now, where would you start? I know you mentioned Office, Office 365 for your Microsoft email account. Um, but there's so many, so much more tech that an entrepreneur or business owner needs at their disposal. Where would you start to make sure that you don't become a target of the scammers in ensuring all your systems are highly aligned with the best security for future growth and hopefully fast scale-up growth? That, that is a very good question. Uh, Michael and yes when you know when you're starting out and uh, looking you know if I'm and are you a one-man business um, just a laptop on the on your kitchen table um, hoping to scale up so what I would say you know um, or are you already um, shall we say in a, um, a a business with two or three employees um, and you need to be sharing data around um, either or I would, I would actually sorry let's start there you've got a company yeah. with five employees yeah and you are sharing data and you want to be secure you don't want to be hacked you don't want to be fished and people can scam your data you only want to really share it with your colleagues where do you yeah. start? Where you start um, is finding a good IT support company um, to support you. Um, as I said earlier um, about big business, focusing on their core skills, it's the same for the entrepreneur starting out. Um, and um, I think there's... Really, when you're looking for an IT support company, um, many of them are great at providing that technical resource to, for your IT. But I would ask them um, probably three specific questions about IT security. Um, and that is how often they vulnerability, they scan for vulnerabilities on their servers because you're probably going to be hosted on a shared server with other companies. 
do they regularly patch? So every month, all the big tech companies um, release security patches um, because of vulnerabilities that have been found in the previous month. Um, and uh, um, thirdly, asking them how they're going to back up your data. Um, again, as we as we outlined earlier, um, are these all uh, services an IT company should be providing a standard, or do you need to add it? That's why I said a good IT support company. A good IT support company will provide these things as standard. If they say this is an additional service, move on. Okay, great advice. We're trying to save our listeners time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. You know, I come across an awful lot of uh, people coming up on my social media network right now, Brian, and I'm finding a lot of IT professionals are based overseas in places like India, the Philippines, the US, uh, some in Russia. What do you say? to our listeners who have, are considering an IT support company overseas? Be extremely careful because you are the data controller um, of your data as far as GDPR compliance is concerned. Um, so, before anybody says, hang on a minute, we left Europe, um, why does GDPR still apply? Because it was brought into UK law, um, and as of the 1st of January 2021, we have the UK GDPR, which is essentially the same as we had from 2018 that made UK-centric. So if you uh, choose an IT support company, say in... Um, in India, the US, um, the Philippines, etc. These are, are these are what are known as third countries, as far as the Information Commissioner's Office is concerned. Um, and not all of them will ha um, have what is termed a data adequacy. Well, I can put my teeth in a data adequacy agreement, which means that. They have data protection regulation to the same level as the UK GDPR. And your data could be at risk. So are you advising against going overseas for your IT support? I am advising that to make sure that if you want to go overseas, um, you have a look at the ICO's website and um, determine which countries have an adequacy agreement. So, for instance, we, when we left Europe, we said the whole of the EU and the wider um, European economic area have adequate data protection regulation. So, yes, if you wanted to um, have your website hosted in Ireland or your IT hosted in Ireland or anywhere else in the EU, um, yes, that, that would be okay. Um, 
if you look at hosting elsewhere, uh, please go and have a look at the ICO's website and see whether that particular country um, has the data adequacy agreement. Um, countries like Australia and New Zealand do. Um, the, the Philippines um, and, to be honest, let's say the you know, countries where the cost is likely to be much lower, mostly don't. <laughs> what does ICO stand for, Brian? The Information Commissioner's Office. They're our data protection regulator. In the UK? In the UK, yes. Okay, perfect. If someone has been in business now five years and they've made a complete hash of their cybersecurity, for example, they may have gone over to India or the Philippines to get their IT support system in place and they're breaching their client's data and they are not sleeping at night because there's big fines associated with this. Getting it wrong. Where do they start if they are not IT literate? They come and talk to me. <laughs> um, yeah, we can help um, them um, if they so wish, migrating the data back into the, into the UK. Um, to a, a UK-based hoster. Um, but, uh, yeah, we can, uh, um, we can help them make it secure, even if they wanted to stay with their overseas supplier. Um, and we can also uh, um, be, the, be the middleman, if you like, between them and the Information Commissioner's Office if, if the Information Commissioner's Office is uh, already investigating. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot, Brian. Have you got a special offer for our listeners today that you'd like to share? Yes. Um, so we, we will always give them a um, first meeting risk assessment um, for free. And we will, uh, for, your, for your listeners today, we, we have a 20% discount on our normal daily rates or norm, yeah, normal daily rates or project rates. Would they need to uh, make quote to a reference? Um, yes, why not use Michael Crane as the reference? Okay. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm sure... If our listeners are really struggling in this really important area right now, they will be giving you a call. So let me go back on to mistakes because getting it right is great, but I believe there's probably just as many people and companies and startups that get it wrong. So what are the common, most common mistakes that a company would be making? in your opinion? The most, the most common mistakes, um, especially in the, in the startup scenario, um, you know, and even going forward until they've got, they're an established business with multiple numbers of employees, is getting the basics wrong. Um, and by that, I mean not having a, a good uh, password strategy, 
um, a, a weak password will be um, hacked within milliseconds. And the number of times that research comes out and shows that people are still using, you know, password or password one, two, three, um, as their, their password, as I said earlier, to their crown jewels, which is their data, it, it still surprises me. Um, so a good password strategy. Um, two-factor accreditation, make sure you've got two-factor accreditation because then you don't uh, always, before two-factor accreditation became common, it always used to be you'd change your passwords um, so every three months or so. The problem with doing that is people need to remember the password. So every time you change it, it becomes weaker and weaker. If you've got two-factor accreditation, you don't need to change your password. Um, and then it, it is uh, making sure not, not sharing, uh, making sure you're not sharing accounts, making sure that you've got proper roles and responsibilities set up um, for your systems. So that, um, you know, if the, uh, the guy doing the purchasing, um, for instance, only needs access to the purchase ledger, purchase ledger. Um, he doesn't need access to uh, the sales ledger, etc. Um, so in making sure that people don't have too wider access for the role that they are performing. Um, Great advice. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting uh, one, the password protection strategy. Yeah. Would you outsource the password protection device? Yes. On the basis that everyone has so many unique portals and platforms that they use. Generally, I think people would use the same password for all of them because they'll forget. I'm just yeah. saying as it is. So what platform would you use that remembers all your passwords that are secure and what are you looking out for when you go down this route i would i thoroughly recommend both for businesses and personal use using a password manager app this um integrates with your your uh computers um your smartphone um, tablets, etc., um, and it will generate a unique password for wherever it is you're going that needs a password, um, and they will be um, complex passwords and secure passwords. Uh, there's a number of, of apps out there um, that you can use, um, but make sure uh, it's, it's one that's highly recommended. Um, and this, this is not an advert at all. I have no, um, I don't resell this, this app um, at all or have any financial interest in it. I use an app called 1Password, digit 1Password, um, all one word. And people say, yeah, but if they get hacked, all your passwords are hacked. 
Correct. Yes, that is true. That is true. Um, but they employ, you know, financial services level, defense level, company uh, security, encryption, um, and they are constantly monitoring what is going on um, on their, uh, their network, their website, etc., and uh, making sure that they can, they can stop the bad guys getting in. This may be a real silly question, but is this service free or would you recommend only go with paid services? For personal use, the app that I recommended do have a free personal um, app. Um, and I would say for personal use, that is, that is probably fine. You still get the same level of protection as a business who pay for it. Um, and uh, um, I would also say that if you're a business, whatever service you're talking about, please don't rely on free um, services. They're free for a reason. Um, and uh, if you pay for the service, you will get a higher level of protection. That's great news. And I, I completely agree with that advice as well. So what next for Riverside Court Consulting? And by the way, Brian, you gave our listeners a special promotional deal a little while ago. But I did. I'm not sure if you told them how they can get in touch. That is true. That is true. Um, they can get in touch with me through um, email. Um, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N dot Ultimus, A-L-T-I-M for mother, A-S, at Riverside Court Consulting, all one word, dot co dot UK. They can uh, message me through my LinkedIn profile, um, Brian Ultimus, um, or they can contact me through Facebook. Um, again, Brian Ultimus at... Uh, on Facebook. And what's next for you, Brian, just before we wrap up this podcast show today? Next for me is, uh, yeah, making sure that we, are, we continue to grow. Um, so you can probably see we've got a, a new website coming along shortly when we get time to finish it off. Um, cybersecurity doesn't go on holiday, unfortunately. So, uh, uh, that's taking a bit longer than we, we would have liked. Um, and it is continuing to build our, um, our network through networking. Um, I believe you get the, the longer-term relationships by building a face-to-face -face relationship. Okay, that's been over Zoom um, for the last 18 months. But... Uh, um, I don't, my, my personal belief is I, be, I build a stronger relationship with somebody through one-to-one -one networking rather than buying a, a lead from a lead generation company. And on that note, Brian, I can confirm cybersecurity is a global industry that never sleeps 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Good luck with your future plans 
And thank you for being on the michaelcrane.live podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I enjoyed it. It was good fun. With a coach by your side, you can be invincible and nothing is impossible. But not all coaches are equal. Why is it some coaches get outstanding results while others struggle? In today's market, the very best coaches are armed with three powerful tools. One, a proven methodology that works every time. Two, a mapping and tracking system. Three, an ability to prove the return on investment. Without all three you are going nowhere. With all three client impact is enormous, and the opportunities are endless. These coaches are called New Level Results Coaches. Find out if you make the grade at newlevelresults.co.uk. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have a business story to share, please reach out and contact us on michael at michaelcrane.live. To hear more stories from entrepreneurs and business leaders, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. We look forward to having you back for our next podcast show. Thank you.